Today's episode of Conversations with Per is proudly brought to you by Tiger Per Chai, chef crafted, made from pure natural ingredients designed to activate your power within. I have such a deep love for our very special guest today, Mr. Tom Cronin, often known as the King of Calm or my meditation guru. <laughs> I just made that one up. Tom is the author of six books written with the common theme of magnifying human potential through the practice of meditation. Tom is the founder of The Stillness Project, a global movement to inspire one billion people to sit in stillness daily, as he believes this is the key to reducing stress and chaos in people's lives. Tom is also a teacher, a speaker, a corporate trainer, and an internationally renowned leadership expert, conscious leadership expert. He's also a film producer. He produced a highly acclaimed experiential documentary, which I love, called The Portal. It's created as part of a bold global vision to overcome the chronic levels of anxiety, depression, PTSD, all the stuff that we're facing today. This speaks to the need of our time. If you haven't seen the portal, you must. And it gives me great joy to be sharing this conversation with her, with my very good friend, Mr. Tom Cronin. Hello, Tom. Colleen. Welcome to Red Lantern. Good to see you, Mr. Cronin. I love your hugs. They're always so good. Nourishing. Delicious hugs. Delicious is a good word for it. Have some delicious tea. Yes, please. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Now, the last time I had this amazing tea, <laughs> I was, just about that. <laughs> I was awake, awake for three days after I had your tea. So I'm just thinking, okay, what have I got on tomorrow? <laughs> I'm going to be a wreck. Bed. It's got something electric in this, I have to say. It's delicious today. So good. Mm. Tom, you know I love you, right? Thank you. I, I love, love you too. very, very much. So you're known as the king of calm. Do you ever lose your shit? <laughs> yeah, I got two 20 year old kids You should see me at home <laughs> Bless them, how are your kids? They're beautiful uh, Yeah, they're great They're in a, a good space What are they doing? Well, my son's in a really cool Let's call it sort of like a punk rock band And they're getting a lot, no of, way. A lot, of, a lot of gigs around Sydney um, They had a lot of challenge trying to decide the name of the band And we had a lot of backwards and forwards Suggesting lots of different ideas And they came up with a name Out of all the names that we decided That I said you really should have thought of a name that your nana, your gran uh, would like to hear. And the band's actually called The Dead Roots. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it works as a punk rock band. I'm not sure when you're talking to your, your grandma about that. but um, I love that. Yeah, they're really cool. They're getting a lot of gigs around Sydney. He's a drummer, so I love watching him. I go to every gig as often as I can. Yeah. How often does he play? Uh, they're playing uh, sort of really once a month at the moment. They're yeah. playing at the Oxford Arts Factory, the Bondi Hotel at... Um, the Beach Road Hotel, playing around Sydney a fair bit, which is great. It's so exciting. Good. I love so it. So good. So you're the um, the old guy amongst all the youngins? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's like three parents that keep turning up from the band and we always stand in the corner drinking our cranberry juices. <laughs> yeah. You must love it though. Yeah, I love it. I'm so proud. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And what does your daughter do? Well, she's studying a degree at university doing a science, computer science degree, and she's working at Kmart. She's writing novels. She's looking to invest in her first property. She's, yeah, she's doing great things after, you know, having some challenging times at school and come through with just absolute flying colours now. So good. Yeah. So good. Tom, I know your mission. I've mm. been um, following you for quite some time. We've known each other for quite some time. Will you share with the listeners 
um, what your mission is and how you got from there to here. <laughs> you know, I was such a, going through a really difficult time in my life once and experiencing extreme anxiety and depression, panic attacks. I had a lot of addictions, drug addictions. What, when uh, was this time? It's sort of been back in my sort of 20s through my ages, uh, 10 years into my 20s. I started my career as a broker in finance at the age of 19 and that kind of threw me into the wild, wild world of finance markets in the late 80s and early 90s. And that took me down uh, paths of a lot of, you know, crazy hedonistic times. Were you in Australia at the time? Yeah, I was in Sydney. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to do a degree at journalism at Macquarie Uni and I just had like three months to fill in after travelling around the world, spending all my money and I had to save some money quickly for uni. So I just applied to a bunch of jobs in the paper and one of them was this gig on a trading room floor as a broker. Now, I had no idea what it was, no interest in it. I was going to do journalism and ideally write articles for Time magazine against capitalistic greed and save the world. I'd just been backpacking around Europe, listening to Susie the Banshees and the Smiths and reading books like Jean-Paul Sartre and Albert Camus. So I was all into French existentialism and very politically minded. And lo and behold, next thing I'm on a trading room floor making six figure salary and driving a fancy sports car. It's amazing how much the ego loved that. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, this is pretty cool. I'm making lots of money. And, you know, we're getting, you know, all these corporate Amex cards where we could spend lots of money on drugs and drinking and crazy things. I mean, not that we were supposed to be doing that, but that's where it sort of ended up. And so that eventually led to these extreme anomalies in my experience, mm. which was panic attacks, depression, insomnia. And, um, you know, it morphed into um, really a deep, dark depression. And Is that the pressures of the job or the drugs? I think it was a combination of both. The, the job in itself, you're in high fuel sympathetic nervous system state. So when you're in that really extreme stress response, you know, you're not producing the biochemicals of oxytocin, serotonin, even melatonin. So your body is really depleted of those happy love chemicals. Yep. And you're in simply a lot of cortisol and adrenaline. So you're experiencing a lot of that high extreme stress response. And you just can't feel happy. You can't feel good when you're in that state. It's just not possible. Yeah. And that's part of my problem that I saw in the world. Because when I eventually this blew up into a nervous breakdown at the age well, of 29. You think you feel good. Yeah, you think you feel good. Yeah. And then you have to go back for more of these outcomes these things that you get addicted to to try and feel good and feel better and the gaps in between get bigger and longer and darker and deeper and so your addictions get more and more and this is like a vicious cycle that we get stuck in and I think a lot of societies in that now in some way and so this blew up in my late 20s in a full-blown nervous breakdown which was pretty messy and I it really culminated one morning where I collapsed on the floor and my bathroom getting ready for work and I was shaking uncontrollably. I was, uh, you know, I couldn't breathe. My vision had blurred. I had a sharp pain in my chest. I was in cold, clammy sweats and I wanted to go to the toilet. I wanted to vomit. And I thought I was actually having a heart attack. Mm. And, you know, I was so depressed at this point. I was really in a deep state of really dark misery. Um, the panic attacks were brutal. They were coming every day at this point. How long was that going on for? It was going on for quite a few years, but it just got wow, okay. built up and built up into yeah. really a regular state of these full-blown experiences that made me completely incapacitated. And they just got worse and worse. But I didn't understand what they were. I had no idea. Tom, didn't did have you have support at the time? Who, who was around? No, I had my partner, my current wife um, was around, but, you know, I kept it to myself. I was, you know, being very stoic, classic, 
you know, alpha male and I've got this under control, I'll just deal with it. So I didn't really tell anyone what mm. was going on until my wife found me on the bathroom floor and she took me to the doctor. And he explained to me there and then, in his words, you're having a nervous breakdown. And I just burst into tears. My wife was there. I couldn't stop crying. And it was like a complete shattering of the illusion that I thought I was, you know, this yep. king broker. And then to be told this, you know, I thought it was and was hoping it would be, you know, heart attack or something or something they could fix. You know, you can fix that, right? There's a, there's a way to fix that. But you, how do you, the, my first thought was, how do you fix this? Mm. How are you going to fix this? Yeah. And then I just realized I was up shit creek. And he sent me to a psychiatrist that morning who, you know, told me that I have a stressful disposition and this is who I am and I need to go on pharmaceutical drugs. And it was just um, a really deep spiral at that point in my life but surprisingly and maybe not surprisingly now with hindsight and understanding the matrix and the intelligent design of the universe that I came across a documentary about a property developer that was using meditation mm. now I'd never come across meditation never seen anything to do with meditation I worked on a trading room floor and went to an all-boys agricultural school so uh, to hear and see this person in a business suit meditating Bruno Grollo was his name actually and he was doing this meditation that I'd never heard of, but it was called Transcendental Meditation. Now, I love getting out of it. I love yeah. raves. I love nightclubs. I love taking drugs. And that idea of transcending was still really appealing to me because that's what I've been trying to do for 10 years. Yeah. And he just looked so serene. And it was like this light bulb moment. It's like, I want that. Mm. This is what's missing in my life. And so I started my research into that form of meditation and many other forms of meditation. And that was the one that really hit home. But coming back to your initial question, um, it was such a game changer. I could not believe how much it changed my life. All the anxiety, the panic attacks, the depression, the insomnia simply melted away within weeks. Now, I went back to my job. I, at that point, I developed um, mental health leave and agoraphobia, so I couldn't go to work and I was taking time off work, which for me was really hard to have to communicate that to the boss of a trading room floor because you just don't even take a sick leave. Unless you're in a coffin, you don't take a day off work. And yeah. so explain that I'm not going to go to work because I have a mental health problem yeah. was laughable. And it was really crushing for my big inflated ego at that point in time to have to do that. But I just simply couldn't go. So I was at home and I found this documentary. It was on Channel 9 because we didn't have Netflix, of course, or Foxtel. This was pre-internet. And I started my research, I started meditating and it was an absolute game changer. Now I went back to work and I went back into that job in the same company with the same clients for 16 more years. Wow. And what the meditation did was that it removed and reduced that stress response that I was having so I could be fully engaged, fully present, mm. fully in that job. Now, of course, I still did lose my shit at times and I wasn't a perfect enlightened monk, but it de definitely was incremental. That, does that exist? <laughs> yeah, I haven't found it yet. I'm still looking, but <laughs> certainly not in my life. <laughs> And yeah, it showed the incredible power of an ancient technique mm. to completely, um, well, not completely, but to certainly enhance and optimize the human experience. And so I became like an evangelicalist that, is that the right word, that just couldn't be stopped. You, I just wanted to get this out into the world. I couldn't believe that this simple technique of closing my eyes, repeating a primordial vibration mm. could have such a profound effect on my physiological, mental and emotional state and spiritual state. Yeah. And that really inspired me and motivated me to become quite enthusiastic about getting that out to the world. So that's been my mission and vision for a long time now. Yeah. Let's talk about mental health. Mm. 
let's talk particularly about men's mental health. Um, and what a beautiful advocate and example of life demonstration that that you you are in this position that you are teaching it. So, 8.6 Australians commit suicide every day. 75% of those are men. Mm. Still today. What's the barrier here? What is it that is preventing them from experiencing the same benefits that you're experiencing? What's the fear to do something as simple as uh, meditation? Uh, obviously, there's a whole host of other um, mm. issues and, and, and problems. Uh, what are we facing today? Why? Mm. What is it? What needs to be done, Tom? It's a great question. Something I grapple with on a daily basis, I think, because everywhere I see across the entire planet is immense levels of suffering. And I can also see a huge um, opportunity for us to optimize ourselves as human beings. And it doesn't take a lot to do that. It's really not that complex as you and I know through our daily practice and commitment. And if you think about what health is, whether it's mental or physical, physical health and mental health is simply normality. Okay. What health is, is the absence of sickness. And so when we have, and we talk about mental health or physical health, we're talking about what should be base level normal, which is an optimized state of health, happiness, joy, lightness, positivity. But the reason we don't have that is because predominantly most of the world at the moment is ignoring the processes that are required to optimize and experience the absence of sickness, which is health. And we have what we call in the Sanskrit tradition or the Vedic tradition, it's called in Sanskrit, the Kali Yuga, which is a long epoch of time that we're currently in where we ignore certain things. We ignore wisdom. We, ex we even ignore what we inherently know. Classic example, you can have a packet of cigarettes with a photo that this product will give you gangrene of your foot, but we will ignore that information and we will still, we will still adhere to the desires the addictions, the cravings that we have within us because of that lack of fulfillment. And this is where meditation, I think, comes in and plays a dual, a dual um, sort of effect where it can actually help eradicate those desires and cravings and addictions simultaneously by giving us access to what we already are, yes. which is this incredible state of fulfilled, divine, soulful being. And it's just that at the moment we have a world that isn't interested in the inward journey yet. Yeah. We're still very interested in the outward journey. We become even more obsessed about our addictions and attractions towards the outward world. And that's causing huge amounts of, I guess, anomalies and dysfunction and eventually disease, which is what happened to me as well. As long as we continue to crave our source of identity and fulfillment from the outside world, the universal intelligence, the design of all, you know, all things um, will continue to let us know through that message that that's not where we're going to find it and it will continue to bestow karma of some sort onto us yeah. and that's what disease is and that's what sickness is yeah. it's just a mechanism a communication system to guide us into a better way of doing things but unfortunately at this stage like it was for me for 10 years we tend to ignore that voice that messaging system and it usually takes quite a gargantuan slap in the face mm. from the universe, wow. which is always an intelligent design that's looking after us to help us to find our way forward. Yeah. Um, 
if we don't regulate ourselves, the universe is going <laughs> to right. regulate. It's so true. It's going to slap us in the face to get us back into homeostasis. You so know? true. <laughs> Did you not listen? How about this? <laughs> You're back there yet? And it's wonderful to know that that caring force is there, isn't yeah. it? If we can actually allow ourselves to see healing. that. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I love the distinction that you just made, Tom, being that um, to answer my question on, on what's the barrier, it's, it's not that we have to learn something new. It is to remind ourselves of something that's already there. Mm. It's already there. So, um, Kali Yuga, when's that going to end? <laughs> In the ancient tradition, they used to say it was going to be thousands and thousands of years away. But I think my feeling is, which is a whole different slant on it, because what traditionally follows on or what will follow on from the Kali Yuga is a period called Sat Yuga. S-A-T means wisdom. It's when inherent wisdom that what we're discussing about here is exponentially and openly known across the whole community that's the global community and it's embraced and lived and breathed uh and that transition is something that we're in now we're transitioning yes. from the kali into the sat which means that the fact that we're having this conversation which will go out across many channels and many people around the world can access this which didn't happen even just 15 years ago mm. and so what i think they underestimated when they initially forecast the sat yuga window of time the they call it the golden age or the age of enlightenment when wisdom prevails when harmony prevails, when the sense of unity is experienced by individuals, then um, they were forecasting it thousands and thousands of years away, like tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. But I think what they're underestimating was the exponential level of movement of information. Because yeah. if you think when the ancient Vedic tradition was being discussed and you know sat around fires and ashrams and monasteries um thousands of years ago some say five to seven thousand the movement (laughs) yeah there was no internet right so to move information from one district to another or from one country to another you know would take weeks months years if it was going to traverse from one community to another whereas now it can happen in a nanosecond and it can go global and so i think what we're seeing now is an exponential shift into awareness which is really exciting it is exciting. Yeah, it it's is. really exciting. It's 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 phenomenally how quick this is happening where 15-year-olds are posting memes about, you know, cosmic consciousness and yeah. the Dalai Lama has, you know, millions and millions of followers on Instagram. We've even got past living enlightened beings like Sri Sri Nandamay Ma and Ramana Maharshi and Paramahansa Yogananda, these beautiful enlightened beings actually have Instagram accounts where they're sharing, you know, recaptured information from the message that they were living and breathing and and talking about many years ago. So I think we're going to see this happening, this enlightening, this awakening on the planet happen exponentially. And it's going to be an interesting time because there's going to be also at the same time a resistance to that and a suppression of that because there's a lot of people on the planet that won't want that awakening to happen. The last thing our current model wants as far as those people that control the current model um they don't want happy and healthy people Mm. this system is designed currently that we operate within for people to be unhappy and unhealthy and we don't know what an economic model looks like when people are infinitely happy and healthy Mm. or not infinitely but you know generally happy and healthy and they don't need to go to the shopping mall on a saturday to buy 15 boxes of clothes to try and get some level of fulfillment because the tough week that they've had so it's going to be interesting. No one's got the blueprint of the design for what a business model looks like, an economic model, a financial system for um, fulfilled people. It's exciting also the, with the fact that it's, it's in the stages of being created. 
Yeah, that's um, right. This yeah. beautiful organic process. And, you know, there's, um, there's verbiage that hasn't been created yet. There's concepts that have yet to be solidified. It's, it's exciting times. Really, really, really exciting. exciting times. And I think we're seeing just the early glimpses yeah. of that emergence. This is what you and I are obviously working on now is to, to bring these concepts, these teachings and these ways of doing things into the business world because I think that's where it's actually going to be led. Yes, of mm. course. Um, 2023 is a seven-year. Um, two plus zero plus two plus three is a seven-year. It's the year of the spiritualist. It's the year to see things from a higher level of mind. And they say you only need seven to 10% of the whole population to um, back an idea, to be behind some sort of a movement for it to have that tipping point and uh, into the greater consciousness. Mm. It really is an exciting time. Yeah. Um, I've been watching your journey for a very long time, Tom. And um, so the Stillness Project to now be teaching that. Can you tell us now about the Stillness Project and then leading to this amazing film that you've created called The mm. Portal? Yeah, The Stillness Project was this idea when I realized meditation was so powerful and this particular style of meditation was phenomenally effective in changing my state mm. and optimizing me more and more, it's, which is an ongoing process. It's still in play even 27 years later. I don't think we actually get there even though I thought I was gonna get there at some point. Um, but the Stillness Project was a vision that I had where I could see that most of the world's problems came from a state of mind or consciousness of the people that were living on the planet. And if we could open that up, change that state, get them to de-excite through this technique, then it just was blatantly obvious that the world would be a better place. Mm -hmm. And I thought we have to start from that. We can't start by planting more trees or changing companies. And that's all good. That's all good. But what we have inherently is most people in a very old paradigm in their state of consciousness. And so meditation plays an integral role in shifting that state of consciousness. So Stillness Project was what if we could get a billion people doing this on a daily basis? Mm. And that was the founding sort of mission and vision for the Stillness Project. And I got very attached to that and I, I worked really hard at that and I you know, produced the film, The Portal, which I thought one of the great ways to do that because I'd seen The Secret and I saw Rhonda Byrne and her team at The Secret do something that no one else had done. They'd taken a very esoteric subject matter, the law of attraction, you know, thinking, you know, start attracting things. It was quite phenomenal that they could take that very esoteric idea and literally get omnipresence and put that into the households of the world. And that got me really excited about possibility and the possibility that we could do that with meditation as yeah. well. And so I got very excited about that on two levels and to be really transparent, one was the vision and the mission of making the world a better place. And the second thing I thought, wow, she absolutely crushed that financially. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe there's a business model in this as well. And so that was a really incentivizing aspect was, you know, how do we build a business model out of this? Yeah. And that's what motivated us to create the portal. And so uh, I got, uh, you know, very attached and very drawn into the idea of trying to make those numbers work. Mm. Not so much the business, definitely that, but also how do I get a billion people meditating? And it took me a while to shake off that um, attachment because I realized even that was my old alpha male, you know, yep. um, <laughs> egoistic, attend, you know, desire. And so more, oh, and I wasn't having fun, you know, I was not enjoying it. It was just, mm. it was a grind and I was just grinding my way through trying to make this work. And so it was really about getting back to the essence and the, the mission and the vision and, and, and the joy of doing what I love doing. Because if I'm not enjoying it, then it's not going to attract yeah. what I want it to attract anyway. Yeah. 
Um, and it's a it's a big call. It's yeah. a really big call. Mm. So talking about how you were then being the, the alpha Tom. So if you were to describe Tom Cronin 10 years ago, I think we've known each other for about mm. 10 years, to Tom Cronin that's sitting in front of me today, what are some of the significant changes that you've observed in yourself? I think the biggest change is that there's less of Tom. And yeah. that's really the thing. My work is to be less of what I was constructed to be, partly through my own construction, through my lifetime and partly through society's construction. And what I'm noticing through all of my practices is that this is a practice and a process of clearing and clearing and clearing and letting what's inherently underneath all the layers of Tom to start shining through more and more, which is actually within everyone, that divine quality, that innate wisdom, that innate lovingness, that innate kindness and tenderness. And so all I'm noticing is that I'm just becoming less of what I was. And as a result, I'm becoming more of what I already am. And it's a really joyful and challenging process to go through, but to start to find more and more freedom in being that essence rather than the identity. Yeah. Mm. Um, I call it the long haul of mirrors and there's Mm. multiple long haul of mirrors. (laughs) We think that we've uh, (laughs) gone to the end of one. So when do we get to the end? Oh, there's another fucking long haul of mirrors. (laughs) Let's go down this journey again. Um, But that that is what it's all about. Mm. That is Mm. what it's all about. I think to the work that we do, a lot of people think that it's putting on more layers Mm. and more armor and um, more development and and more stuff. But what it actually is, is it's the taking off of. Yeah. It's the taking on. I'm going to take this off. It's Mm. bloody heavy. I'm going to take this off until we stand there in our nakedness Mm. and say, this is me. It's like, who is Pauline? I don't know. And it's taken a lifetime to give them that answer. Yeah. (laughs) Who is Pauline? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> who, who is Pauline? <laughs> I, I don't know. And it's a beautiful answer because um, uh, we have the ability then to just be. Yeah. That's the hardest thing, isn't it? Mm. To just be without ambitions and drives and desires and attachments and longings and possessions. And that year that I did some of the more, the more advanced work into this was probably one of the hardest years in my spiritual journey and life itself because you really, um, it's, there's, there's almost a sense of sorrow and loss in, in losing something that we were deeply attached to. Yeah. And I'm a lot freer from that now, but there's still times of, of this sorrow and loss Mm. of being, uh, less of what, what I was and what we are. Yeah. Mm. But we're allowed. Absolutely. We're allowed to, Mm. it's, it's, it's part of all of it. Mm. It's part of the Mm. whole journey. I admire so much your drive to um, create the stillness project, create the portal, create this tool for healing for everyone. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't ever believe that change in the world is to march down the street and picket and protest and all that. There's a, there's a space and time for that, but I don't believe that's going to heal the world because mm. that creates more fire, mm. that creates more anger, that creates more charge. If we human beings are the microbiome of the earth, of the universe, we've got to get ourselves less fiery first. We've got to get ourselves less inflamed. We've got to get ourselves in a state of inner peace and joy and all those things that are our birthright. So we work on ourselves first. Um, and you speak a lot also because we, we're all leaders here. 
We're talking about self-mastery, talking about self-leadership. You speak to conscious leadership. What does conscious leadership mean for you, Tom? Because you teach a lot of that too. Yeah, there's, there's kind of like two stages. In the Vedic tradition, we recognize that there's two stages in our spiritual journey. One is what we call the yogi stage. And the yogi stage is where the yogi would recluse, retreat, and go off into silence and stillness or caves and ashrams. And they would go there to remove themselves from the external distractions of the world and look to harness and cultivate an inner state of awareness. So let's just say, cultivate consciousness. So stage one is, oh, I'm that. I'm, I'm not my thoughts, I'm not my desires, I'm not my emotions, I'm not my physical body. I'm now through my sadhana, my daily practice, my routine, my withdrawal from the world, I'm now starting to identify with something deeper, more profound that's innate and yeah. always was innate. And that would be this sort of first stage in the spiritual journey. And they would do that usually in silence and solitude. Now for us, we don't want to go into silence and solitude because we, we like having families and friends and work and things and we have other commitments. So we do that on a daily basis. Just for a small portion of time, the yogi phase is cultivating an inner state of awareness, consciousness. Then what happens for some people, not everyone, but some people want to go into stage two, which is what we call the rishi stage. Now the rishi, R-I-S-H-I, is one that then shares and is inspired by what they've found to want to share and to um, help others to experience what they've discovered themselves. Yes. And so conscious leadership is stage two, where you have consciousness and you assist other people as a leader to access their consciousness. Yeah. And you operate from that set of consciousness that you've cultivated from your yogi phase. And I always see it as a three-step process. We initially start as a seeker. And in seeking, if you walk into a dark room, we're seeking. And the first thing we find as a result of seeking eventually is the light switch. So seeking leads to finding mm. and finding leads to sharing. And so my seeking was I am in abject misery and darkness and I need to find the solution. So I'm seeking, seeking, seeking. Oh, okay. It's interesting. It's in ice baths. It's in saunas. It's in meditation. It's in yoga. It's in eating good food. It's in cultivating a healthy mind and a healthy body. So in the finding, I naturally progressed into the sharing, which is, okay, this is not rocket science. This is uh, some simple steps and processes. And let's go about as a conscious leader, helping other people try and find this way as well. Yeah, we are what we share. Yeah, I do believe that the mm. life we live are the lessons that we teach mm. and we have to teach. One of my values is if I'm going to learn it, I must teach it. Mm. I can't be a hoarder of information. Yeah. We, have to, we have to give it away. Um, I'm excited to be working with you for our new project. Me too. Will you talk about it? Will you yeah. talk about it? Yeah, let's talk <laughs> about it. Yeah, it's really exciting, isn't it? Because we're, we're, we're getting into this really interesting phase now in this transition from the Kali Yuga into Sat Yuga. Yes. And let's just contemporize the language around this, which is I'm going to use Daniel Schmachtenberger, Jim Rudd, and a group of people that are contemporizing this language of game A into game B. And game A is a self-terminating game and it's a win-lose paradigm. Yeah. Whereas game B is a win-win paradigm and it's an infinite playing game where the point of the game is to actually keep playing the game because by you playing the game, you're contributing to the uplift of society and the planet as a whole. So we need game B businesses and that's what I do a lot of my work around and what we'll be working on is helping businesses to establish a game B operation, a game B model where everything that that company does from the staff that are working in the company to the product that that company creates to the benefits, the success of that company has on its impact in, in the world as a whole means that the more success that that company has, the better the world's going to be. Yes. 
but we can't get companies operating in a game B paradigm if the staff are operating in a game B state of especially consciousness, the yeah. especially the leaders. So we'll be working with leaders and staff as a whole to help them first and foremost, not build a game B business, but to get their staff into a game B paradigm of state of mind, a yeah. state of consciousness. And as a result of that, then they'll start creating a game B business. Yeah. I'm really excited about that as well, uh, mm. thinking about the global impact mm. we're going to make. I think combined with the two of us, we're into, ma- we're into ma- creating movements. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's, it's, it's compounding effect um, where I think when you bring people like that, it multiplies more than just two times two equals four. It's actually yeah. two times two equals like, you know, 16 or 24 or something bigger than that. Yeah, mm. it's true. I'm excited. Mm. I'm excited. And um, a real privilege, honor and uh, absolute uh, selfishness to know that I'll be working with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, likewise, it's shared. Have a good time. Um, I have two final questions for mm. you. Your wife, Jen, your two children, if they were to, I'm going to three different people here. Mm-hmm. If they were to describe their dad in three words, what would they each say? Um, my son would probably say embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> in a really kind way. No. Um, my wife would probably say kind. Yes. And, uh, and my daughter would say supportive. How would you describe your wife in three words? Uh, kind. Um, I would say thoughtful of the world, thoughtful being the word, but to expand on that, thoughtful of the world. She's very um, kind and caring about the world and um, a little bit on the wacky side as well, which she'll, she'll appreciate. <laughs> very good. And your children? Yeah. They, they, my son is a very big-hearted human being, very, very generous, very kind and very charming. Kind, generous and charming. Um, uh, charming, I should say. And my daughter is very intelligent. Mm. Um, a beautiful, tender soul, beautiful, tender soul, and very, very wise, very, very wise, probably more so than she even realizes at this stage, but Mm. she's pulled me up many times and been a a guiding force in my life. Mm. Bless them all. Mm. What's next for Tom Cronin? Because you're doing a whole lot of coaching, Mm. whole lot of teaching now. Um, Will you tell the listeners a little bit more about that? How can they find you? How can they work with you? Yeah, I really love working with conscious leaders in the world. So Gritstone is something I'm really excited about working with you and going into businesses and helping businesses. I love working with people that are sort of, they say some of the best people to coach are people that are 5% behind you. Mm -hmm. So people coming through the journey that I've been on, teaching meditation, yoga teachers, healers, speakers, giving them some of the structure and the motivation and the inspiration to build conscious businesses. Uh, a lot of people really struggle with things like marketing themselves, I think you mentioned before, um, and you know, for them getting a business model around it, a lot of them treat it as a passion. And because they don't treat it as a business, I have to get them to get into that sort of yang mindset yeah. and have structure to that so they can actually sustain a living in it because a lot of them are struggling to sustain a living in it. Yeah. So I have a Zen Academy coaching program, which I love. It's a 12-week mentoring program for conscious leadership. And it's a beautiful program. We're halfway through the first beta testing of that. And it's been phenomenal feedback. Yeah. Beautiful group of people. And I, I really just love mentoring them. Yeah. Um, so that's a really big part of what is a, a growing part of my business model. And then actually, I've got some exciting things that I'm exploring. But one of them is uh, looking to 
I keep saying to work less, but it doesn't seem to happen. I have this idea that I'm going to play more golf and surf more. But when I weigh up, I could, yeah, I could go for a surf or I could coach another client. So I seem to get pulled back into doing my work because I love it so much. But I, I think I intellectualize to try and tell myself that I should do those fun things more. Yeah. Um, or, but I just, or, or you can uh, filter out the clients who love surfing and then do it at the same with time. Them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, That's why I'm doing a retreat in Greece this year because I thought I really want to hang out in Greece with a bunch of awesome people and get yeah. paid for it. So let's just do a retreat in Greece. Yeah, what, when, when is that? <laughs> it's in September. Okay. And the other thing, one more thing that I'm really excited about is, and I got inspired by Joe Dispenza on this, so a bit of credit and kudos to him um, because of the great work that he's doing, but he's taken his retreats into thousand people auditoriums yeah. and really scaling that impact. And, you know, my last few retreats, we had some bigger numbers in them and I got really excited about the impact that we're having on those people, but also what does that look like if we start to scale that energetically? Mm. And what does it look like when we take people through bigger groups in that experience over a number of d days? So we've got a big retreat called Alchemy in June in the Sunshine Coast. And, you know, the goal on that one is to get to 100 people and then the goal on that is over year after year to start to scale that to 200 then 500 and eventually see what it's like if we can put that retreat format, which we know has a profound effect on people into ideally down the track, you know, a thousand people and travel around the world with that. Awesome. So yeah. I'll put it in the show notes. All that information will be on your awesome. website, yeah. um, your Instagram, yeah. and your Facebook. All accessible well. yeah. there, yeah. One last question. Hmm. What makes Tom Cronin per... <laughs> <laughs> I just love humanity. I love life. I love nature. I love a sunrise. I love sweating in a sauna. I love my dog sitting on my lap at night while I watch TV with my wife. You know, I love coming home and, you know, my son and my daughter high-fiving me or giving me a hug. You know, just really simple things. Life yeah. is so simple and we can squeeze so much joy out of it. And I try to do that on a daily basis and it doesn't, it's not like I want a Learjet to fly around the world. I just want these joyful, simple things, you know. Yeah. Uh, gardening at my mum and dad's farm is, you know, one of my joys. Uh, watering the grass, you know, and seeing that grow. So it's yeah. really simple. Yeah. Mm. That's one of my favourite words, joy. Mm. Mm. I, I, I experience joy at the beauty of a flower. <laughs> yeah. The simplicity of the sunrise. Mm. The ebbs and flows of the ocean. Yeah, it doesn't take much to get me excited and tingling with joy. Thank you so much for being with me today, my friend. And I want to show everyone your book. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful book, beautiful book. And um, uh, I am a big fan of the film also. I watched it on the big screen. Mm, that was I a very special moment. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you. I love mm, you. Thank much you. Love. Thank you very much. <laughs>